0: So, I don't know if you're aware of this, and it's, it's, hard to, it's harder for us to be aware of it because of where we live, but it's actually one of the most dangerous times in history to be a Christian. Persecution of Christians is at, a, is at an all-time high. In fact, it's probably, at the, at the, it's probably the most dangerous now than it's ever been to be a Christian. But being that we are living where we're living and doing what we're doing, we don't necessarily see that. there was a story in the news this week about a family, a Dutch family, Richard, a Dutch family, that were living underground for 10 years, waiting for doomsday. I mean, can you imagine like hiding out in a, in a bunker for 10 years? You wouldn't be aware of what's going on around you, and I think that we can, sometimes we can kind of get into that place where we, um, we don't, we aren't aware of what's happening in the rest of the world, and because it's not happening to us. But let's just give you a few statistics this morning. According to the World Watch list, from October 2017 to October 2018, 245 million, that's the number in the, in the World Watch list countries, um, just in the World Watch countries, which is 50 countries, 245 million Christians in the world experience high levels of persecution for their choice to follow Christ. 245 million Christians are in the midst of experiencing high levels of persecution. One in nine Christians worldwide experience high-level persecution. So one in nine of us. So you had nine people laying, standing up here. One of them is going to be in the mid, middle of high-level persecution. 4,136 Christians were killed in that, in that year period for faith-related re, uh, reasons in those 50 countries. Um, 2,625 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned in, in that year period. 1,266 churches or Christian buildings were attacked in that year period. For um, eleven countries, uh, eleven countries score in the extreme level for their persecution of Christians. North Korea, North Korea was uh, five years five years ago. There was one. It was North Korea. Now there's eleven. North Korea is still number one uh, as the most dangerous place for Christians. Um, so every month, now this is a, every month, uh, 105 churches are attacked, burned, or vandalized in those top 50 countries. 11 Christians are killed every day for their faith in those top 50 countries. By continent, it's one in six Christian, one in six Christians in Africa. Experiencing high levels of persecutions. It's one in three in Asia, and one in two, one in twenty-one in South America. In Iraq, um, uh, the BBC a few months ago actually had a story that in Iraq, um, Christianity is on the verge of becoming extinct. In the last twenty years, it's on the verge because persecution is so high that that is on the verge of. Becoming extinct. In fact, they're calling it genocide there. Although we don't experience it, the reality is it's a dangerous time to be a Christian. And Christians all over the world are um, being persecuted. Um, and and um, at this point, we don't have to fear that. We live in a country that is safe. I come from a country that is safe to be a Christian. Although we've seen the most massive cultural shift in history in the last 10 years. One of the things that the BBC uh, cited as as an issue for Christian persecution is the current culture of political correctness. And that culture of political correctness actually is going to precipitate greater and greater persecution for Christians. We have to be aware of that. We have to realize that even though it isn't life or death for us, it is... It is for many, and it could be for us at some point in the very near future. If we've seen such a massive cultural shift in the last 10 years, imagine what it's going to be like 10 years from now. Where now we, have, we, have, um, we are frowned upon for our Christian viewpoints and beliefs, for our traditions that we've walked in, that the world is, uh, has accepted for thousands of years, where right now it's, it's, it's tolerated, how long is it going to be before it's not tolerated anymore? How long will it be before we're not going to be allowed to meet publicly because of persecution, because of the things that we believe in the Word of God? And the reality is, and the thing that we have to come to grips with and come to terms with is, Jesus actually promised that we would have persecution. Jesus actually told us that we were going to live in persecution. And I wanted, to a, I wanted to start a series this morning that I want to call, Be the Church That You Want to See. And I wanted to start it out, and I want to start out about, um, started talking out about our passion, being passionate believers for Jesus Christ. I read in my Bible, and I see in my Bible that Um, the call to be a Christian is not a call to necessarily, actually, if you read your Bible, the call to be a Christian was not a call to a nice life. It was not a call to a comfortable life. It was not a call to an easy life. And I think because the church has spent the last couple of decades, or maybe longer, trying to convince people that coming to Christ was actually a means to an end, and that end being a comfortable life. We've seen it come through different doctrines that have permeated the church and that have carried, that have seeped into the church and the church has embraced. And those doctrines like, pro, like a prosperity doctrine, like a consumer-oriented doctrine where you come in and Jesus is actually your, uh, your benefactor and he comes to make your life better and easier and happier and richer and I think those doctrines have actually caused us to—they've um, caused us to be lulled into a false sense of complacency. The word complacency means—see where is that in my notes? Oh man! Uh, the definition of complacency means a feeling of contentment or self-satisfaction, often combined with a lack of awareness of pending trouble or controversy the danger isn't actually for us will i die for my faith i think because of complacency because of what the church has embraced because of what we because of our own desire for make my life better the the, the danger isn't that we're going to have to die for our faith the danger Uh, is, can we live for our faith? Will we live for our faith? Will we live a life that actually expresses and demonstrates a passion for Jesus Christ? A willingness to lay down our lives for Jesus Christ. I had a, we had a mentor, and he used to say it's more important what we get saved into than what we get saved out of. And I, to see, I want to see us be a church that is so passionate for Jesus. We're so sold out for Jesus. We're so in love with Jesus that we're actually not willing to just die for him, but we're actually willing to live for him. I think if we marched most people up here, we, if we marched most people who and said, hey, you know, either renounce your face or you'll be killed. A lot of, uh, most of us, a lot of us would say, absolutely, I will, you know, I'll take the bullet because I love Jesus that much. In our minds, in our hearts, in reality, a lot of us might say, that, say yes. But the question is, are we actually living for Jesus? And so I want to look quickly at a couple of scriptures in, in um, Matthew, in, I'm sorry, in Luke Uh, chapter 9, and I want to talk about what does Jesus really say about those people who want to be followers of Christ, those people that want to be passionate followers of Christ. What does that really look like for us? What does that mean for our lives? Does it mean that, man, I'll never have problems does it mean that all everything I want and need is going to be given to me? Does it mean that I'll never have a, uh, I'll never have to experience one of my kids, you know, being a being a prodigal? Does it mean I'll never have financial problems? Does it mean I'll never have to be I'll never be ridiculed or embarrassed or humiliated for being a Christian? I think, that, I think that sometimes we preach a gospel that actually deceives people. It's actually a deceptive gospel. Because what Jesus has called us to is to be those who lay down our lives. If you look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he says, if anyone come after me, this is Jesus. Jesus. And he said, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would ever save his life will lose it. Whatever who, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it mean to be a passionate follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be someone who, who, uh, who is actually doing what Jesus says here? It means that I make a decision to die daily for Jesus Christ. I make a decision to lay down my life daily for Jesus Christ. What does that look like for us? What does it look like when you wake up in the morning to say, hey, I'm going to live my life as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? Does it mean that Jesus becomes part of your plans? For, for some of us, Jesus is part of our plan. And okay, I wake up every morning, I do my hour devotional, or I do my 20-minute devotional, or I do my 10-minute devotional, and like, you know, okay, so Jesus is part of my plan, and I, and, he, and I get up and I do that. I do that faithfully, and I do it day in, day out for years and years, and man, that is commendable. That is a good thing. But what does it mean to die daily for Christ? It means that we wake up every day and we say, Jesus, I've got my plans. Jesus, this is my plan. I've got to, you know, I'm going to get up. I'm going to, you know, it's a Saturday. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to go out to the beach or I'm going to go surfing or I'm going to go ride my bike or I'm going to go uh, climb Table Mountain and I'm going to go and then, and then after that we're going to, you know, take the kids, you know, and, and do something with the kids and then in the evening we're going to have a braai and, and that's my plan. Are we waking up every day and saying, Jesus, what's your plan? Are we waking up every day and saying, Jesus, what do you have in store for me today? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Are we waking up and saying, Jesus, my life is yours today? When was the last time you woke up and did that? Where you said, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Jesus, where do you want me to go today? Jesus, how do you want me to spend my day? I think too often we don't we 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 don't even include Jesus in our plan. And yet Jesus is saying if anyone wants to come after me he's got to deny himself and take up his cross daily. Jesus is saying, if we want to be his disciples, if we want to be his followers, if we want to be passionate followers for him, we have to be willing to say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do today, wherever you want me to go today, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. Imagine how that would shift your life if every day was a day for laying down your life for Jesus. Jesus said, "If, if uh, he said, if we don't do that, we're not worthy to be called his disciples." And there, and there's, uh, and even though we're in a place now where we live in a safe country, where we don't have persecution, we don't have police banging on our doors, we don't have to hide from from uh, the fear of persecution. There may be day, a day coming soon where we have to make that decision. Actually, that following Christ means I could be killed for my faith. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, your whole life has to be laid down before me. He's not, We're not part-time followers of Christ. We're not passive followers of Christ. We're those who say, I'm willing to die daily. There's nothing I'm going to hold back. There's nothing on reserve. The next scripture I want to look at is in, uh, also in Luke 9. Verse 57 and 58. It says, And as they were growing, going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lie his head, nowhere to lie his head. How many of us realize when we say yes to following Christ that it actually means that I'm not going to be, that that I actually am giving up my right to have own or have and own anything? It's actually us, actually Jesus is saying if we want to be followers of him, if we want to be passionate followers of him, we can't be possessed by our possessions. How often do we look at our lives as being a, a, a methodical and <clears throat> calculated effort to accumulate things? We work hard to pay off our bond. We work hard to to get more things. We work hard to have that security of having money in the bank. And it becomes mine. It's my house. It's my car. It's my money. It's my family. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to follow me, there are no guarantees that you're going to have any of these things. Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be like me, if you want to be a follower of Christ, listen, I don't have a place to lay my head. I don't have a home. As be, to be passionate followers of Christ, we, we cannot be possessed by our possessions. That everything we have, everything we possess, everything we accumulate, everything, every rand in your pocket, every rand in your, in your bank account, the title, the deed to your home. All those things become his. We are, we're so in love with him and so passionate for him that we're willing to say, everything I own, God, everything I possess, everything I have, it's all on the table for you, God. It's all available to you. And so often we don't live that way. So often we say, we, we say, yes but only to a point. And I wonder what, it would, what God would say to you this, if you took a moment. I wonder what Jesus would say to you if you took a moment and said, okay, God, let's sit down and let's do an inventory of my possessions. Let's do an inventory of everything I own. Every, every rand I own, every, every, every piece of property I own, every piece of clothing I own, every television I own, everything I own now, God, what do you want me to keep and what do you want me to give away? How many of us would have the courage to do that? How many of us would have the courage to say, man, God, do you want me, actually, do you want me to sell my house and give the money to the church, to the poor, to wherever? That's what he said to the, uh, to the, um, to the rich young ruler he said what must i do to follow you what what must i do to be your disciple what must i do to have eternal life and he says you know like he he says i've kept the commandments because this this one thing you still lack go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor Are we passionate enough about Jesus to say, God, everything I have, it's all on the table for you, Lord. Everything I have, what what courage would that take in us to say, I'm so in love with you, Jesus, that nothing I own matters to me in comparison for my love for you? What would that be like? What would Jesus be able to do with our lives, with with our church, with with our congregation, with what would he be able to do with us if we had that kind of passion for him? How would he shift our priorities if we had that kind of passion for him? Because the, the, re, the reality is, is some of us are young, some of us are older. And some of us are going to look back on our lives and we're going to say, man, I could have, whoever watched that movie, Schindler's List, it's an older movie. But it's a movie about a man named Oskar Schindler who, had, uh, who helped rescue Jews out of Nazi Germany. And he started out as a, as a successful businessman and he was just trying to make a, a living. But then he began to realize that, um, that his business was being built on, the, uh, on these, these Jews that were being sent to, uh, to slaughter. And he began to actually buy them from the Nazis to work in his factories. And he began to buy them and hide them. And save, he was actually buying them out of concentration camps to save their lives. And the end, this end climactic scene is where he says, he looks at his watch and he says, and, 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 the man, and he's given everything away. He's, he's lost everything. He has nothing left. He spent all his money. He's given away everything he could to save. And he's got, he looks at his watch and he says, I could have saved more lives. But I, if I wouldn't have kept this watch, if I would have sold this watch, I could have saved more lives. And it's almost like we have to be, if we want to be passionate followers of Christ, it's almost like we have to have that mentality that, God, everything I have, every minute, every rand, every possession is available to you, God. Does that mean he's going to ask for it? No, it doesn't mean that. He may not, he may not ask you to do that. But the question this morning is, can he ask you to do that? Are we the the kind of people that say, God, everything I have is yours? Jesus, everything I have is yours. Jesus, you you gave me your life on the cross. What can I withhold from you? What can I keep and not make it available to you? Luke chapter 9, verse 59 and 60. To another he said, follow me. But he said, "Lord, l- l- let me first go bury my father." And Jesus said, let, "Let leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God." Some some biblical scholars will say that his his father hadn't even died; that he was actually wanting to go and wait until his father died because that was the uh, the tradition within the culture to honor your father and be there and take care of him until he passed away and then once you buried him now you have the freedom some will say that his father was dead and he needed to go bury his father but we don't really actually know but jesus makes this this incredibly offensive statement he says don't don't go bury your father in fact just let the dead bury the dead with what he's meaning is those, that, don't, those that, aren't, uh, that haven't come to life in Christ, let them sort themselves out. You go and follow Jesus. You go and proclaim the kingdom. Passionate followers of Christ have to decide where their loyalty lies. And so many of us live our lives working to please parents, family members, friends. So many, of our, so many of us live our lives in a way that we say, actually, Jesus, you're not as important as what my parents think. Jesus, actually, you're not as important as what my friends think. In the way we live our lives, those of us who are, who are, uh, who are not willing to stand up and say, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. We have to decide where our loyalties lie if we want to be passionate followers of Christ. We have to be able to say, there's nothing in no one that comes before what Jesus wants. That is a challenging thing to do, and many of you have had, have had to make that choice. And I think what Jesus is trying to say here is that our loyalty to him supersedes any biological connection you may have. If you're a, a Christian in Iraq, if you're, if you're an Iraqi who says, I want to follow Jesus, that's a very real decision that you're making. Because your family's going to kill you. The father or mother who loved you, the father or brother who loved you, now wants to kill you because you made a decision for Jesus. And we don't have to make that decision here, but but, but we have to ask ourselves, is my loyalty to Jesus first? And then in verse 61 he says, it says, yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at, at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If we want to be passionate followers of Christ, we, ha- we cannot look back on the things that we used to love. We cannot look back on those things that used that we used to uh, entertain ourselves with. For some of us, it's you, you struggle with going back to some things that you used to uh, enjoy doing. Some of us, we, you know, maybe you just have, you, uh, you find yourself still struggling with alcohol or cigarettes or um, other things that brought you pleasure. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to follow me, there's no looking back. There's no going back. We all know the story of Lot and his family when they were rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah and from Sodom and they were leaving. And the angel of the Lord said to Lot, he said, when you leave, they were leaving the past behind. They were leaving this place, this this city filled with iniquity. And they were leaving it behind, although what you have to remember, that was their home. That was where their, their house was, that was where their friends probably were, that's where their, their livelihood was, that's maybe like, you know, for those of you who are moms and you you've raised your kids in a, in a house for years and years and you look back and, and that's like that's where your memories are and, they're, and, they're, and the angel's rescuing him and they're leaving and he says don't look back. And Lot's wife looked back and, he, and she turned into a pillar of salt. For those, if we want to be followers of Christ, like passionate followers of Christ, we've got to say, hey, I want nothing to do with the past. I want nothing to do with who I was. I want nothing to do with those things that I used to love. Because I want to love Jesus. And God is calling us to be a church of people who are like, hey, anything, any time, any cost, God, it's all about you, Jesus. I want to be a part of a church where people are so in love with and so devoted to and so excited about and so overwhelmed with Jesus that they're willing to do anything and give anything and, and, uh, and, and uh, leave anything behind. I want to be a part of a church where people are actually, where we're actually, we've got to open the doors early because people get here so early because they can't wait to get into his presence. I want to be the part of a church where people say, actually, I feel like God spoke to me to, sell, to give someone my car, because they need it more than I do. I'll take the bus. And Margaret and I first came to South Africa in 1996, and we, uh, we were uh, it's part of a church planner's course, and we were there, and, um, and we, we showed up in, Dur- in, in Durban, and, and uh, they said, okay, well, we got this car for you to drive, and... They said, okay, well, whose car is it? And they said, well, there's a lady in the church, and she's going to take the bus for two weeks so you can have a car. Now, for her, that was probably kind of normal. I don't know. We don't, I don't even know if we ever even met her. It's probably normal for her. But for us, it was, it was, it shifted something in us. Like, wow, a total stranger was willing to lay, just to say, hey, you know, you're coming to, to be in this course. I'll just do without. And I thought, man, I want to be, be like that. I want to be that kind of Christian that says, God, whatever I have is yours. Whatever you want to use, whatever you want to take, whatever you want to, it's yours. Other people, you know, you, I heard the, I've heard the stories about this building. I don't know who, who's been around long enough to know. Who's been, who's been in Josh Jen long enough? There's a few people, and I heard the stories about people coming and, and 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 selling their home to build this building. Now that's a great thing, and I and and, and I, I want to be cl- I want to be totally clear is I I'm not asking you to give me anything. But can you imagine if God spoke to you today and said, "Hey, listen, actually, I want you to sell your home and give your money to build the church to build the building in Durbanville." And now you go back and you think about those people, uh, you know, 16, 17, 18 years ago, who sold their home to build this building. And it was a church of 3, 4, 500, I think, at the time. And now it's a church of 4,000 4, or so. And you think of all the lives, all the people that have walked through the doors here and have met Jesus in this building all the lives that were transformed, all the marriages that were saved, all the kids that came into the kingdom because their parents got saved here. You think about how many lives have been impacted by the fact that some, somebody somewhere said, Jesus, everything I have is yours. In fact, I'll sell my house so this building can get built because I know it's going to be an investment in the kingdom of God. Those are the kind of Christians I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the church I want to be and I want to see. And I think there's a lot of us who in the past have said, yeah, I've done those things. Yeah, I've sold, I've sold a car. I've given a car away. I've, I've sold a home. I've given the money away. I've, I've, I've given my last dollar, dime, whatever, because God told me to. And we say, yeah, I've done that, been there, done that bought the t-shirt, all that stuff. And I feel like there's just something in, in my spirit that says God wants to remind us of those days. He wants to remind us that that's what this is about, that we, just because we did it once doesn't mean we're doing it, we're done doing it. Just because we said yes once doesn't mean we don't have to keep saying yes over and over again. And I feel like God wants to remind us Of what it looks like to be a passionate follower of Christ that's the church I want to be I don't want to say I don't want to look back on I don't want any of us to look back in a year two years five years ten years and say oh yeah I was complacent oh yeah I lost it oh yeah actually the last five years have gone by and I haven't really done anything for Christ I haven't really made myself available to Christ I don't want us to look back and say, man, this watch, I could have done more. I could have saved more lives. I could have given more. I don't want us to be the kind of church that says every day, God, what do you want from me today, God? What do I get to give today, God? What do I get to give? I want us to be passionate followers of Christ. I want us to be passionate people who, who, who uh, are chasing hard after God. Man, I, I want us to be the kind of people that, man, we've, just got to, we've got to say, okay, guys, like, calm down. You're too passionate in worship. Hey, guys, calm down. Hey, s- stop bringing all your friends, because the building, we can't, t- we can't hold any more people here. The kind of people who say, who, you know, hey, stop getting here two hours before the service. We'll, we'll save you a seat. The kind of people that are so on fire and so passionate about God that we actually have to... We actually have to like, okay. Man, isn't that that a beautiful picture? And now imagine Jesus sitting on his throne, surrounded by glory, surrounded by angels and all that stuff, and him just looking down on Josh Jen, Sunningdale, A.M., And I'm saying, look at those people who are like on fire for me. Look at those people who like, man, they're not holding anything back. Look at those people who like, they just, they're so in love with me. Imagine Jesus and imagine what that means to him, what it says to him, how it brings joy to him. Can we be those kind of people? That, that Jesus takes note of. One of my favorite books of the Bible is one of my least favorite books of the Bible. And it's the book of Job. And God looks at Job. The, actually, the, actually, Satan comes to accuse Job. And God says, hey, Satan, where have you been? And he said, well, I, I've been roaming the earth. And, and God, says to jo- God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Job was God's testimony. Satan came to say, man, these these men and women that you created, they don't love you. They're they're unfaithful. They're fickle. They're they're worshiping other gods. Satan came to accuse. And God says, wait, 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 wait. But have you seen Job? Man, there's no one like him. There's no one on earth like him. He loves me. He's faithful to me. He serves me man, I want to be like Job. I don't want to go through the persecution part, but just to be clear. I don't want to, you know, I don't want boils. I don't want my, you know, I like my wife. Don't kill her. Um, I like my kids. Don't kill them. But I want to be God's testimony. I want to be the guy that says, when, when Satan comes to accuse, that God says, have you considered my servant long? Have you considered my servant Duncan? Have you considered my servant Richard? Have you considered my servant Bronwyn? Have you considered Sunningdale A.M. and Josh Jen? Look at those people. Man, God's wouldn't it be awesome if God said, hey, sometimes I gotta tell those people to calm down. Sometimes I gotta like knock them out in the spirit because I'm afraid they're gonna hurt each other. Because they're so on fire for me. What if we were that kind of people? What if we were the kind of people that like. You know, like the neighborhood starts talking about the city starts talking about. Even if just Josh, Josh Jen just started talking about us, man, Sunnydale a.m. we've got to we try and keep up with those guys because they're so passionate about Jesus. That's the church I want to see. Those are the people I want to see. I want us to have to explain ourselves, because we're so crazy in love with Jesus. Like, what's wrong with you? Oh, we're just, we're crazy in love with Jesus. Nothing else. There's no other explanation. We just love him so much that, man, we're, we're on fire for him. I'm going to finish with this and then we're gonna, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up because I want us to respond in worship. I think, it, I think when, we, when we talk about Jesus this way, we have to respond in some way. And so this morning I want us to respond in worship. So I've asked the worship team and Michael to prepare this song and and uh, but I want to finish with a scripture. It's in Matthew 11, and I, I don't know. I love. I just love the visual image and the, the. I love like the the rawness of this verse of scripture. Matthew 11, verse 12 says, "From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force." I just have a picture of like us charging heaven. Charging heaven, man, because we can't stay away from Jesus. We can't, we, we can't be satisfied with the things of this earth. We can't be satisfied with, you know, another movie, another Marvel movie. It's not going to do it. That's not going to do it for me. You know, South Africa, if the Springboks win, win the World Cup, so what? It's easy for me to say because the Americans don't really. I told Nick I should get like an American uh, 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 rugby jersey, but I don't think they make those Um, because we don't we don't factor in. If we did, you guys would all be wearing them. Um, But I can't even remember why I said that. But it's like, so what? It's It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Can we just worship him this morning? Can you just respond to him in worship? Can we, we, like this morning, this worship song, it's a question that begs an answer. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of everything that we have to give him?